It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Boring. Each week, we look at sports topics of local interest, maybe a national topic or two. We've got a betting segment and a segment where you can ask me a question on any topic. Go to hashtag AskSkinnyAnything on Twitter to hit us up for those questions. As always, it's presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. Rick, one topic we may not get to at any point this year is baseball. We'll see. Um, not a whole lot of progress made this week. They're threatening come Monday to push the uh, the season back and start canceling games. I think there's there's some idle threats going on because I think if something does get done, you know, maybe a day or two later that we don't have that happen. But uh, it isn't looking good at the moment. As we've talked about, I could not care less about that. I am totally fine if they don't play a season. I'm totally fine if the Reds pick up and move to another state, if I'm being honest. Wow. Wow, that, that I, I just could care. I, I baseball is so bad at promoting itself, and then they do stuff like this. It's like I yep. really could care less if it ever comes back. I really don't care. No, I mean, you want? I'm telling you, for a lot of a lot of this country, you wander into the to the NFL off season, and if you're not a relevant baseball team, your your fan base is turning to the NFL off season very quickly. Well, the, the biggest thing for us is we've never really had an NFL team to care about. So it was like, okay, this is our our few months to to hopefully have something good happen before it falls apart inevitably. And then we start acting like we care about the Bengals again, but now people actually care about the Bengals. Like they're actually something to watch and there's real interest there. So I I don't know what the Reds really Reds really have to offer at this point. And as you know, I mean, we're, we're, we're not only just a, we're, we're a football and football town. So we always have soccer to turn back to for this spring. Oh God. Yeah. I can't wait to see the new additions for the football club. (laughs) Skinny, let's get into some college basketball it. talk, though. This is, uh, this is, to me, I don't know if you felt this way. This was the first week where it really felt like, okay, tournament time's right around the corner. March is coming. This th- this week felt like real basketball tournament week. And I don't know if it's just because there's no football to interrupt us or think about, or if it's just because there were so many crazy games and bad calls by refs and everybody getting mad on Twitter, or what it was. Maybe it was just Xavier playing a triple overtime game on Wednesday night. But this felt like a big time basketball week. I agree with you. And I, I think some of it is, yeah, we've kind of gotten out of the football mode and, and that's the next thing to look forward to. And all of a sudden we're, we've looked up and, and here we are to conference tournament time, et cetera. I think the other part too, is we, we look up at a point in the season where um, teams have kind of established themselves and are now jockeing for positions seed wise, yeah. um, postseason wise. And so it seems like everything gets magnified game wise where that's concerned. And we are in the, crux of a conference season now where you are having meaningful matchups take place, which also helps the, the equation. Exactly. Well, let's get into uh, talk about our regional teams here, and we'll start with Kentucky. The Wildcats won back-to-back games over Alabama and LSU on Saturday and Wednesday, despite not having its starting backcourt of Ty Ty Washington and Severe Wheeler for either game. Skinny, have the Wildcats made you more of a believer down the stretch here, having won 12 of the last 14, especially with what they just did against two solid teams while not having their starting backcourt? Yeah, no question. And, and, and some of this with, with Washington and Wheeler, um, I, I know Cal had talked about trying to get some minutes off of guys heading down the stretch and, and getting towards the postseason. And by default, he's been able to do that with both Ty Ty Washington and Severe Wheeler. Now, would he have done that if these games were on the road? Maybe not. I think his hands are tied a little bit with Ty Ty. I, I truly think he is hurt. I think Severe Wheeler's more of a maintenance thing. Um, but yeah, I, you know, listen, do I think they can go on the road and, and, and beat good teams like these uh, without those two guys or either of those two guys playing? I do not. 
but to his credit, it was a good calculated roll of the dice. And I think they've shown, we, we looked at some of those big Saturday games, you know, uh, going to Auburn and losing when, you know, Ty Ty got hurt and when Severe Wheeler missed a little period of time with, in that game, in the Tennessee game when that happened. Um, I give them the benefit of the doubt for that. I think they've shown that now they can win with that. They're getting production from a lot of different guys. Uh, you know, Keon Brooks has stepped up at times. Uh, you know, last night, uh, what, they've had now 10 guys score in, in double figures this year at some point. Where did that, that Bryce shows, Hopkins uh, come from? Yeah, Bryce Hopkins had 13 points last night and came up big. And this is a kid that was only averaging you know, a handful of minutes a game. They're, they're showing some pieces. And like I said, I'll give Cal this. I think some of this is him almost forcing some guys into some minutes at this time of the year to see what you got. To, and, and you take that calculator risk in Rupp where that does help to play at home. You, you know, it's not like you're taking Sheboy out of the lineup. It's not like you're telling, taking Kellen Grady out of the lineup. And Kellen Grady in a friendly environment can handle some point guard duties. I don't know, again, if he can do that. Listen, if this was the postseason and you're playing without Ty Ty Washington and Severe Wheeler, can you get to a second weekend? Yes. Can you get out of the second weekend without those guys? No, of course you can't. But what a nice time to be able to rest those guys and still get some nice wins and then get contributions from other guys. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. We're not talking about, oh, is this UK team going to be good even if they don't have their backcourt? That's not what we're talking about. It's more about if you would have told us two months ago that Ty Ty Washington wasn't going to be on the floor or both him and Severe Wheeler weren't going to be on the floor, I wouldn't have thought that this team could be top half of the SEC level teams. And now I, I get that they're at home, but LSU is pretty damn good defensively. Yeah. And Alabama is a team that gives people problems. I think for UK, it's a good matchup, but they're, they're a solid team this year and UK handled both of them. And to me, almost as impressive as anything about that was you have in the first game against Alabama. Okay. Kellen Grady makes seven threes. Well, that helps your offense out. It gets get you going. And especially against a team like Alabama that wants to get out and run and score a bunch of points. I, I thought that really helped them get into a flow. And that was kind of impressive. It's good to see Kellen Grady lead the team like that. But then the next game against uh, LSU, Kellen Grady is nowhere to be found in terms of his shooting. He doesn't make any threes. And you don't have that big boost offensively. And yet you still find other ways to get it done. To me, that was really impressed because it's like, if you're, you know, you can win the one night when you hit seven threes from one guy and you can get the next night where you're not shooting it at all. That's, that's telling me something about your level of consistency and the way you're doing the other things. And it also says a lot about Oscar Shibway and why he should probably be the national player of the year. Yeah, and that's the one the one factor that you can't really take into account when you get to the postseason. What what happens if they have to ever play extended minutes without him on the floor because of foul trouble, right? You, you really don't know that that answer. Maybe you never do. Maybe he is just that good of understanding how to play without fouling. He's done a really good job of it for the most part this year. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they've got a lot of good parts. And to the credit of, of I'll give Cal credit, he's meshed them very nicely, uh, you know, uh, you've, like I said, you've gotten, I think, I think I'm right on this. I think 10 different guys have, have had a double figure game this year. And that to me shows, listen, are they all going to do it? You know, when you need them to do it, probably not, but it does give you a lot of weapons to fire. If things aren't going right, go, okay, that guy's done it before. And now it's your turn. And you're going to have some point in the postseason when that's going to happen. And just to, uh, hit on that Oscar Shibway foul note, he's averaging 3.3 fouls called per 40 minutes. That's pretty low pretty for a good. center that plays as physical yeah. as he does. I mean, that's a guy who's very rarely in foul trouble. And like you're saying, I mean, we're only talking about a one-game scenario. Anything can happen. Anyone can get in foul trouble in one tournament game. So that's still a factor. But I think that's kind of one of those things where it pretty much goes for everybody at that point, right? Like if any team loses their best player or a sure. national player of the year sure. type candidate, they're going to be in trouble. So that being what it is, 
Uh, I'm, I've just been really impressed with this Kentucky team of late, and I think they're clearly trending in the right direction here as we head down to March. I, I cannot believe they're ranked third in offensive efficiency by Ken Palm. They're third yeah, overall no, I mean, by Ken Palm, but third in offensive efficiency, this team. Yeah, no, right. And, and you know, going back to the Shibway thing, you know, maybe you can, if, if worse comes to worse, at least offensively um, with Washington and Wheeler and Grady and, and, and Keon Brooks. I mean, those are four guys who can score. I mean, maybe you can go through a period of time if there's no Shibway on the floor of at least being efficient enough offensively. Now, I don't know what you do rebounding wise. Maybe you get, get lucky for whatever stretch he's out and you, you team rebound the basketball. Um, he's certainly a difference maker in, in every way, shape, or form, but maybe they can overcome it because they do have enough firepower if it comes down to it. I, I, I will say this. I mean, again, you look at their losses. I was really disappointed after Notre Dame because I thought, okay, you've gone on the road now twice. You're away from Rupp twice. You haven't shot the basketball well twice. You haven't found a way to do other things. And then when you start to look at the other, other losses, there's reasons why, and I can swallow hard and take them. And they've had really good wins along the way too. And, and this Saturday is another good one. They got Arkansas on the road. Um, you win that game, Rick. You got a chance to win out. You, you play Ole Miss at home, and then you play Florida at Florida, and that won't be easy either. But if you if you win out, I, I can't imagine this team doesn't put itself in a real conversation for a one seed because I think a you know a team ahead of them will probably stumble along the way. We'll talk a little bit more about NCAA tournament futures and that stuff when we get to our betting segment. But let's move on here with our regional look at the college basketball teams and go to the NKU Norse. They went one and one over the weekend with a loss at Detroit Mercy, 60 to 52, and a win at Oakland, 71-66. The Norse currently sit in third in the Horizon League standings. Now, they will play on the night that we're recording this. We're recording this Thursday morning. They will play tonight. Uh, but skinny, the Horizon League tournament starts next week. How do you like NKU's right. chances heading into that? You got to love it. I, I you know, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this. So if they win these last two, um, would they clinch a two seed? Yes, I think. Well, they would at least be the three worst case scenario because that's where they are now. So I guess in theory, if Purdue Fort Wayne right. won both of right. their games, which they're playing Detroit and Oakland, so it seems fairly unlikely that they'll win both. But if they were to win both, right. they would stay ahead in the two seed. NKU would be at the three seed, obviously, and then. Whatever Cleveland, happens State's the, Cleveland State's the one seed. Cleveland State has already yeah, secured State's the number one. Yeah, right. NK, the best right. NK you could do would be. Yeah. Two. Well, here, here's the question: When you look at the Horizon League tournament, when you look at every team that that you probably have to play along the way, who have they not beaten? Well, they've beaten everyone except for Detroit. Right. <laughs> so right. that's, that, yeah. that's your one bad matchup for whatever. I, I know you've talked about it. I heard you talk about it on the radio yesterday. That is sometimes there's just a team that's a bad matchup or maybe the, the goofy coincidence of you just didn't play very well those two nights. Yeah, and I, th I think they're Detroit zone. They play a goofy kind of matchup zone, but they have a lot of length for this conference and they do a pretty good job of it. It's a system that they've actually been playing for multiple years. They've stuck with it. They've got a lot of the same guys that have been in it now and they're just pretty good at it. And, and it really took NKU out of what they want to do offensively. And part of it is when you look at the teams that are able to beat it more easily, they usually have a big post player that they're able to get easy points around the basket. And NKU doesn't have that. So I think that's part of their issue against Detroit. But aside from that, yeah, I mean, they have beat Cleveland State. They have beat Wright State twice. They have beat Oakland twice. You know, those are, in my opinion, the three best teams in the conference right there. Cleveland State, Wright State, and Oakland if we're not talking about NKU and then after that, yeah, I mean, they're, they should be able to handle anyone else as well. So, I mean, the way it's shaping out right now, if everything stayed chalk, and again, that's very unlikely here in the final week of the season because of the way matchups shake out, but it'd be Cleveland state versus UIC in that second round, 
Wright State versus Oakland on the top bracket, same half as Cleveland State UIC. And then you have NKU playing Youngstown State and Purdue Fort Wayne playing Detroit on the same side. So not ideal that they could end up playing Detroit in the semifinals, but also at that point, you're in Indianapolis, you're in the final four. You'll take your chances there with that team beating you three times in a row. You'd have to love that draw being on the same side as Youngstown State and avoiding Cleveland State, Wright State, and Oakland potentially. Yeah, no, right. I, I I think they got a great chance, and it's because they're playing as well as they're playing at the moment. No doubt. And it's it's one of those things where fans always want to change from thing to thing. They think it's like video games, right? If your current defense isn't working, well, just switch. Go to the other defense. Call the other defense, and it'll work better. you got to change stuff. And I think NKU is the perfect example of why you stick with the same system, and you keep building on it, and you try to get better. Because you've seen this NKU defense really struggle at times early earlier this year, playing that matchup zone that they like to play. And they stuck with it, and they stuck with it. And they've made some adjustments. They've played a little bit more man at times that within the, the scope of their defense. And they've also gone to a straight 2-3 instead of the 2-3 matchup at times. But for the most part, they've stuck to that 2-3 matchup and their base defense, and they've just gotten better and better at it. And now all of a sudden, they're playing as well as anybody in the conference. And a lot of it is due to the way that they're playing defensively. So I think it's just a good reminder that like this isn't video games and sometimes guys do need to gel and get used to playing something together and, and figure it out on the court. Especially matchup zone. Cause you got to communicate so much, yeah. you know, and you got, you got new pieces you're trying to fit around where guys have to trust. I've got here. You bump back to there. I bump back to here. You're going to, but you got to, and it, and it does sometimes take time for that stuff to happen. Yeah, it really does. All right, on to Xavier, which has now dropped five of its last six and three straight after Wednesday night's triple overtime loss at Providence. Skinny, how do you see this playing out for XU the rest of the way? And is there any reason for hope if you're an XU fan at this point? Yeah, I mean, if you take, the again, the, the last two games as as performances and, and efforts and some, there was a lot of good out of the last two games, obviously. But then you take, if you can take those things and bottle them, which you can't, you'd like to, and come back and play Seton Hall the way you played these last two games, I think you beat Seton Hall. I definitely think you beat Georgetown. I don't even think, think you you beat Georgetown. And you might even have, have that, that sandwich game in there to, to win as well. Um, so I know what the end results were. I know there are a lot of things to criticize. Um, you know, they're still at times very soft on defense. But the last two games, I think you go... UConn's damn good. Providence just figured out this year, and there is some luck involved. I don't care what you want to say about Providence. There is a little luck involved, but by golly, they grit their teeth and they win close games. They're really good at it. It's kind of their their thing this year, and they could be one of those teams when you start putting your pool together going, well, I'm going to keep picking them to win close games, or you're going to go, ah, that's an early out just because their luck factor is going to run out. But listen, in a vacuum, I don't think they were awful across the board in the last two games. That's what would give me some hope. My only thing that doesn't give me hope is they don't seem to then take that and come home and beat a team that, that you have a chance to beat. As far as the Providence thing, they're trending right now like a four seed, potentially like a three seed. They're going to be one of the trendiest first round upset picks this year, without question. Yep. When people start yep. looking at their metrics, there's no doubt they're going to be a huge upset for most brackets. So if you're looking to do the contrarian thing, you maybe pick them to advance a couple of rounds. But um, as far as Xavier goes, I agree with you that, especially this game against Providence, they played well for who they are. Yes. Now the big issue that was glaring is they can't shoot. I, I mean, they, they basically gave themselves no chance. I think they went four for 19 and on the other side, Providence was going 14 for 28 
from three or whatever, 14 for 29, something like that. I mean, it's really hard to win a basketball game if that's the discrepancy you're facing from three-point range. Xavier beat them up in the paint. They won uh, on the glass and in second-chance points. They did all the things that they could control and all the things you went into the game saying, okay, they, they need to contain Nate Watson inside. They did that. They need to do a better job against Al Durham. He killed them and got 22 in that first game. Okay, they 13. did that. And, and he was really inefficient. He was like three for 10. He had six turnovers in this game. So they did a good job doing the things that they needed to do. But they can't shoot. And that's a limitation of this team. You don't expect them to shoot well at this point. But that's how you end up going down in a triple overtime game that you played really well in on the road is because you just simply can't shoot and they're able to continue making big shots to, to stay in the game early. And then as the game went on, eventually win it with a, a lot of three point attempts, essentially. I, I mean, that's just what it is. I, that's not going to change for Xavier, but to your point, if they continue to play the way they played in this game, they should win at least two of their final three, if not all three. Right. Right. But the pro- the problem has been, we, we think that, right? Because again, in the vacuum, I'm like, I can, listen, nobody wants to live with a loss, but you know what I'm saying here of the performance is what I'm looking for. And yeah. I can live with the performance in those two games. Take those to the last three, but the problem is they don't seem to be able to do that. It, it, this feels like, you know what the scene will feel like? It feels like they're going to get down 22 to nine, scratch their way back, lose by three, and you're going to be pissed. That's what you're most worried about right now as a Xavier fan, I think, is that they're going to go right back to who they've been, throughout the year at different times, they've just been inconsistent and they have that incredible knack for playing terrible first halves where they can't score at all. And then they pour it on and they, and they play well for 25 minutes or so. That or the, is, the, the, yeah. Or the glass half full is there's now that complete sense of urgency of, okay, here's what you got left, man. <laughs> Lay it on the line and let's go. And maybe they, they, maybe that's where we're at with this. And maybe this is the time where the light bulb goes on and that momentum carries through the Big East tournament. If that, That's the glass half full side of it. I've already given you the glass half empty side of it. And I think the only other reason that I might be a little more optimistic from a Xavier fan about this potentially being a good sign that they're, I don't know if turning the corner is the right word at this time of year, but uh, on the right track again for this final home stretch is that I thought Paul Scruggs and Zach Freeman were pretty darn good in this game. And you go back to the game before against UConn, they didn't give them a chance. Those two were so bad. So the fact that these guys, Zach Freeman was looked more athletic just in general. I don't know why that was or how that was, but he was rebounding more. He's rebounded more in each of the last two games. He's been better defensively in the last few games. And then offensively this one, he was more back to, who he is when he's at his best, which Zach Freeman, when he's at his best, it's not always the, the prettiest game. It's not always exactly the shot you look for normally when you're a, a good offensive team, but he is very good at getting buckets all around the basket in that like two to 10 foot range. And they're not always easy shots. They're not always what you would think are great shots, which is sometimes when it's been, why it's been really hard to watch him and this team this year is because he's taking these shots and missing them all. He's going like two for 12. And a lot of them are questionable shot selection. In the past, we've seen him make a lot of them. Last night, we saw him make a good amount of those. As the game went on, he he started missing a little bit more. But he started off, he scored six of Xavier's first 10 points, I think it was, and, and had a nice start to the game. So hopefully, if you're a Xavier fan, that, that's a good sign of things to come. Because if Paul Scruggs and Zach Freeman all play well down the stretch, this team has a whole lot better of a chance to do something because that's, again, I, I've said yeah. this a few times, maybe on this podcast and definitely on, on Mo's show that 
the reason people thought the Xavier team was going to be good was because they had two preseason first team all Big East players and Zach Fremantle and Paul Scruggs. If those guys aren't good or aren't even close to that level, then no one thinks this team would be good. So they they need those guys to play well. No question. And that's that's been the case all season long. And and listen, we talked nuclear option last week. I, nuclear option probably does keep them out of the tournament. But as we look today, bracket matrix, they're still a seven seed. Or at least at least I'm sorry. Before I don't think they've updated th- from last night's results, but still they're still in that seven eight seed line at worst. And if they can finish strong, you solidify yourself on the seven line and maybe move up to the six line when all said and done. Yeah, well, we were doing a live show last night, Paul Fritschner and I, after the game went final, we did a, a Facebook Live type deal. And uh, I was trying to go through the the teams on the bubble. When I listened back, I didn't do a very good job of making it clear. But essentially, if you're looking through the teams that are right at the cut line right now, those first four in, last four out type teams, that, that group of eight, you look at their resumes. I mean, they're all in like the 40s and the 50s in terms of their net and their Ken Palm. Xavier's at 25 in the net. They're at 35 in Ken Palm today. So those metrics are much better. You go into the quad one, quad two wins. Xavier's got nine combined. You know, they've got five quad one wins. Those other teams on the cut line have two or three quad one wins. And they, most of them don't have anywhere near nine. Where's where's, where's Dayton on that cut? Dayton. Where's Dayton on that cut line? They're they're at the bottom. They're they're on the outside looking in right now. The issue for Dayton, they actually have some impressive wins, but the problem for Dayton is they have four quad one four quad four losses or three quad four losses, I believe. I mean, they've they've really taken some bad losses this year. Yeah, I was just I was just asking for Rick, I was just asking for a friend, that's all. Oh yeah. Do, does your friend think that uh they're special this year, that they might be one of the better really teams special. in the state? Says they're, says they're perhaps the best team in Ohio. That's certainly an interesting take. Dayton is two and two in quad one, five and three in quad two, nine and three in quad four. That's not usually an NCAA tournament resume. They're 47 in net, 40 in Ken Palm. So they actually do have more impressive metrics than most of the other teams on the, the cut line. But yeah, I mean, just back to the original point in terms of the actual resume. Xavier's right. really in no danger at all. The only two, they just have to win another couple of games basically so that they have the right number of wins. So it doesn't look awkward when you see them and it's like, well, oh yeah. man, they only got 17 wins, whatever it is. That, that's not a tournament type team. You know, you got to get to 19 or so. And right. then well, the other thing is you just, you can't take the bad loss to Georgetown obviously and lose out and make it look like you're correct. just in a complete that's meltdown correct. at the end of the year, because even though they're not supposed to factor in the last 10 games anymore, it's human nature. We're all watching. I mean, if we just watch you lose six, sure. seven straight games, we're all going to think you suck. No question. Right. No, that's right. All right, Skinny. Finally, we'll finish up with Cincinnati. The Bearcats have lost four of their last five and six of their last nine after Wednesday night's 75-61 loss at UCF. The Bearcats are 17-11 overall and 7-8 seven, seven and eight in the American Athletic Conference. We all knew UC would struggle this year given their roster, but is it to the point that UC fans should be worried about the way things are going down the stretch? No, I, I, the thing that I guess is a little worrisome is they've just, they've stopped guarding. I mean, where are they at Ken Palm metrically defensively? I, mean, I know I'm putting you on the spot. I know you said you had it up. Hopefully you still have it up. Yeah. We're talk a little more college basketball here down the road. They're 96. It, it, it can't be good. They're 96 overall. They're 131 in offense and 67 in defense. But I do know that 67 has had to drop a ways. I think they were much closer to the top 50 
few weeks back. Yeah, I just wonder if they just kind of run out of gas. I mean, you know, I, I it's such a grind for them offensively that you have to be so great defensively that at some point I, I think they've just run out of I'm not looking for excuses. Listen, this was not a great team. I still thought it was the fourth or fifth best team in the league. And on a given night, they probably are. Um, I mean, right now in fourth place is Temple at eight and five. Yeah, Temple just came to UC and beat them, but I don't think Temple's significantly better than them. So, yeah, on a given night, they're probably the fourth best team in the league. I don't know what that gets you. Um, doesn't get you a whole lot at the moment. I, I just think they've run out of gas, and they just don't have any defensive answers at the moment. They, they've never had offensive answers. We knew that part. I, I just thought they'd be better defensively, but I just wonder if they've just run out of gas on that end of the floor. Oh, you do want I mean, you look at the last five games. They've given up 75 or more in all five of those right. games, which if you're talking about this team and what their calling card was going to be coming into the year, that is a little bit concerning because everyone, I mean, he's supposed to be the next Mick Cronin. He's supposed to be a defensive specialist talking about Wes Miller. Yeah. I mean, five straight games of 75 or more, and you're playing against the likes of Tulsa, Memphis, Wichita state temple, temple and UCF. Yeah. That's not great. And you have lost a temple twice now this season. Also not great. And they um, still got road games at the end with Houston and Smoo. Yeah. Yeah, I get why people are getting a little restless here because it is looking ugly towards the end of the season. I think ultimately, though, I go back to this team just doesn't really have talent. I mean, David DeJulius is about it offensively. You've got one and a half guys and David DeJulius and sometimes Jeremiah Davenport when all the circumstances are right for him. But Jeremiah Davenport should be a glue guy. Jeremiah Davenport should be a glue guy. And I love, I lead on me. I love him more than, more than most, but he's a glue guy. It's what he is. He's not your number two offensive weapon. Six man. He's a great six man or like your fourth or fifth option. But yeah, he cannot be your second best offensive threat. And that's what they're dealing with. You know what I think happened, Rick? And and we're all guilty of this. I I think the Illinois win changed expectations for the, for the worst. Yeah. No question about it. They, they had no business winning that game, especially by 20 points and the, the fashion that it happened. I still really can't explain what happened in that game. And then really you look the, the next night, they turn around and uh, play art like really well. Tough. Yeah. Yeah. Played really well. So I mean, you're, you're right. That, that completely changed, but even just, I mean, they didn't really play hardly anyone else in their non-conference um, aside from Xavier, which obviously they lost that game by 20 points. So maybe that should have been more of a sign to us, but it is, a, it is a little shocking to me how they've lost so frequently here down the stretch, like six of nine in a row against the level of teams that they've lost to. That's a little concerning, I guess. But again, ultimately I just, when I watch them play, I just think they don't have good enough players to win right now, even at this level. Yeah, and I just go back to the defensive end. For whatever reason, they've just they're not getting it done. And I just wonder if they just have had to expend so much energy that it's just that part of the season where you, you got really nothing to play for other than the tournament. Um, you're limited as it is. And when you can't get stops and it's hard for you to score, it just keeps grinding on your defense night after night to get those stops. And you just run out of gas. You run out of gas mentally and physically. Yeah, I, I think that might be a good point. Because really when you're looking at it, I mean, they're, they're – any issues this team had offensively were expected, but you're right. The, the, especially the last five games where they've lost four or five and have given up all those points. That would be the big concern for me. If I was a UC fan, like, is this a, a disturbing trend or is this just guys with nothing to play for running out of steam here towards the I end think of it's the season? That. And, and it's very possible. It's that. So it, it, you know, no coach should be judged on what happens in their first season for certain. And definitely not when, you have a roster as bad as this one, but uh, 
I would just say, like, I kind of get where UC fans are coming from a little bit on this, the way things have, have finished up. Rick, it's funny. It's funny you say that, though. I can still remember the sports talk radio days when there was a couple of just UC fans that were obviously pro Huggins. And that first year for Mick, when they went three and 25 with John Williamson at six, five playing center. And I got the whole, this guy can't coach. And you just, you almost just want to laugh at people like that and go, guy, just, do you understand what he inherited and what the roster's like? I mean, do you really understand it at all? Now this team is a lot better than that one. And also they're in a much, yes. And they've won seven and they've won 17. Yeah. They've won 17 games though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, but they've also won 17 games. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I agree. There's there's no reason to be freaking out here in terms of uh, Wes Miller's overall prospects. But I, I do understand why if I'm a UC fan and I was pitched that, all right, we're going to struggle offensively, but we're going to get back to the days of being this grinded out win with defense team. I would be a little concerned at the way the last five have gone, but ultimately it's not like a real long term concern, I don't think. No, agreed. All right, Skinny, we've got another college basketball topic here. And uh, obviously it happened at the, at the beginning of the week. There's been a lot of talk about it, but multiple people actually asked for it during Ask Any Anything. So I figure we might as well just make it a topic here. And that is the uh, brouhaha, if you will, that happened between Wisconsin and Michigan on Sunday afternoon. Michigan coach Juwan Howard was suspended for the final five games of the regular season, and Wisconsin coach Greg Gard was fined $10,000 for their roles in Sunday's postgame physical altercation between the teams. Howard was also fined forty grand. The Big Ten stated that both coaches were in violation of its sportsmanship policy, and three players were also hit with a one-game suspension for their roles. By this point, everyone's seen multiple video angles of it. I don't think we need to break down what happened play by play. I'll just ask you, what did you think of the punishments for Jawan Howard and Greg Gard? That's probably about right. I mean, you can't do what Jawan Howard did and not be face some sort of suspension. I mean, I know there was some clamoring to fire him. I don't think it raised itself to that level, but I think the suspension's probably right. I, I thought our buddy Lance McAllister phrased it really well on, on Sports Talk on whatever night I listened. I guess it was Tuesday night, maybe where the question of is the handshake line archaic and is it still necessary or would you rather go seek out a player? Um, and I'll give my own personal example on two fronts of that, Rick, of the handshake line. I like the handshake line. I also, a lot of times, if if a kid has played really hard, win or lose against me, I'll seek them out just to tell them. And it usually puts a smile on their face just because they know they were sought out for something extra from a coach. I know if myself personally, I would always appreciate that. I've also had an incident in the handshake line a couple times in AAU where a kid MF'd me and, and I called him out on it. His coach then was came down, was going to fight me. And, um, you know, I've, I've been you through that portion Cronin. of it as well. Uh, well Cronin versus all, J.P. McKeera. That's all, the Cronin move. Correct. Yeah. Correct. You know, I'll be honest. I mean, last night, our my high school, the team I coach, high school, Beachwood, we played Covenant Catholic in the district tournament. I've not been around the varsity very much this year because of my schedule. And I wanted to be there last night because, listen, I knew we were going to lose and I wanted to, to see our handful of seniors out because um, I, you know, I really appreciate what they did for me when I coached. Um, and the handshake line's hard. There's animosity among the staff. There's animosity because of a kid who transferred from Beachwood to Covcalf. There's all of those things. But, hey, he threw the handshake line. I gave him a big hug and told him good luck and shook their hands and looked him in the eye and you just grow up and move on. Um, I don't think the handshake line's archaic. I do I do understand the point of some who want to do away with it and then just seek some guys out. I do like Tom Izzo standing up for it. I thought, you know, I kind of loved his stance for those that, that didn't see it. Go go Google it. I, I don't I, I think there's a time and place for it. And I 
listen, I've, I've been on both ends of getting my ass kicked and kicking somebody's ass and, and then appreciating another kid's performance and letting them know about it, win or lose. Uh, listen, I, I just think sometimes everybody needs to grow up a little bit here. And, and in Jawan Howard's case, he needs to grow up a little bit here too. A guy took a timeout. Shut up. Yeah, uh, there's a couple things here that I, that really stood out to me. One, it's occurred to me that most of the nation does not know what a punch is. I mean, to call what Juwan Howard did a punch is a little bit wild to me. Punches do not have open hands. They don't come from the angle that he uh, – that, that was what we used to call mugging somebody, or I've heard people call it mushing somebody. But when you, like, basically take someone's head with or, an open hand old, and just or, throw it. The old term of B slap. Well, but I mean, but he didn't really get like a good slap on him. He was more like grabbing his head and throwing it uh, is what I saw. Like, you know, when you push someone in the face and just like shove them out of of your way, like that's kind of what he was doing, in my opinion. But whatever, that's neither here nor there. All I know is that looked nothing like a punch to me. And I, I was shocked by how many people kept saying he punched him in the face that that did not happen, in my opinion. Um, Second. The other thing that I'm fascinated by, and I, I guess this is probably just a thing of like your own life experiences or who you, who, what your parents are like, who you grew up around. I mean, I find a lot of people talking about what Juwan Howard did and how is it unacceptable, but they were totally fine with Greg Gard and didn't think he deserved any type of punishment. And that was amazing to me because Juwan Howard was going, giving him a blow by and just talking to him saying, I'll remember that. Greg Gard then grabbed him by the arm and as Juwan Howard tried to still pull away and walk by him he then puts his fist right in his chest and starts pointing and yelling profanities at Juwan Howard I, I mean I I just don't I am not okay with people doing that to me like I know if that same ha- thing happened to me if someone grabs me by my arm and physically pulls me into a confrontation with them when I'm trying to get away from them I'm not going to be happy either now I'm not saying I'm going to get physical and punch them or uh whatever people think happened there but I, I mean, I, I, I think Greg Gard was really the one who instigated that whole thing. He's the one who took it to getting physical first. And people like want to make a big difference between Juwan Howard pushing some dude in the face versus Greg Gard grabbing by the arm and putting his finger in his chest. To me, there, there's not much of a difference there. Like you are the one who instigated Greg Gard by grabbing him first, pulling him into you and getting your hand to his chest. So I think Greg Gard deserved a suspension. Absolutely. I will say nothing about what Juwan Howard got. I think yeah. that was 100% fair. He deserves it. And by the way, he's already made an ass of himself before during last year's big 10 tournament. So he should have been on thin ice. If Michigan wanted to fire him, I'd have no problem with that because it's embarrassing. And I'm not sure he's that damn good of a coach anyway, but the whole Greg Gard doesn't deserve a suspension thing just makes absolutely no sense. I don't understand that. It- yeah, the one thing I would say too for Greg Gard, if if you believe that the timeout was 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 justified and why you took it, you don't need to explain that to anybody. Just just take the flyby and go. Um, like you said, grow up. Who cares? Yeah. Who cares right. if they're offended right. by it? Let them be offended. You kick their ass. Right. That's right. No, I'm I'm with you on that. Yeah, I just I I thought that you 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 hit the nail on the head. All of them need to grow up. It's embarrassing for all of them. The the, the other thing that's incredible about this is. This really, I mean, players ended up getting physical after the coaches did, and a couple got suspended as a result. But this really had nothing to do with the players. I mean, it did not start with the players at all. It was 100% just between those two head coaches, and that was it. That was the amazing thing about it. I don't know that I've ever really seen that before, where two head coaches 
lost their cool so much to the point that well, they started a physical altercation. Well, that's the thing. If when you see the adults in the room do that, what is it? What does it think that you're allowed to do at that point? Then, oh, if my coach is going to get it on, I'm getting it on too. Mela, yeah. Well, also, how is how is Juwan Howard ever going to go to one of his players and discipline them for losing their cool? No, no question. So, I mean, what would you say if you were playing on Juwan Howard's team and he's screaming in your face about uh, keeping your composure and not getting too emotional? What would you say, honestly? No, I'd look Rick, right back I, him and say, seriously, you? Yeah, you're no, going right. to tell me that? No, Rick. There, are, I'm telling you, there's been a thousand in AAU. It escalates more than high school ball, um, by by far, as you know. There have been a thousand times when, when the game's been over, and I've just had to tell kids not a word, just good game and move on, not a word. And I don't know that they haven't said a word, but it never escalated to the point other than than a, than a kid coming after me for goodness sakes that 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 started something. So I mean, yeah, I don't. I'm with you in that regard. I mean, you gotta sometimes you gotta man up, and and again, when you get it. When you get the tail kicked, you just shake a hand and tip your cap. And if you kick their tail, um, you just shake their hand and keep walking forward, man. Don't don't nothing else needs to be said at that point. How many freshman high school basketball coaches in Northern Kentucky do you think you could beat up? That I could beat up? Yeah. Probably none. Really? <laughs> yeah, they're mostly bigger than me, dude. I'm probably the smallest of the of the bunch. Oh uh, yeah, but you got a little fire and brimstone. I got a lot of fire. No question, yeah. I got a lot of fire. Thing is, I like them all. Well, I well, I know that. I didn't ask the question. I mean, I, there's a lot of guys I like that I know I could beat up. That's you know, there's no. You don't think you could win one fight against Northern Kentucky freshman basketball? Oh, I probably could win more me. than one fight. I just I, I I just trying to pick it out in my head. Most uh, don't forget, I'm also probably the oldest man in the group by far too. That's fair. A lot of those guys are young bucks, but that might. I mean, honestly, like some of these fresh dudes out of college, they've got no chance. I mean, unless they're really built, these young timid guys, you'd light them up. Well, there, I, there's a couple of wet hand, wet, wet fish handshakes that I'm like, come on, man, it's got to be better than that. Yeah. Okay. Now we're getting into the good stuff. I knew, I knew you thought you'd beat up a couple of them. <laughs> All right. Let's get into our our betting segment right now while we're on the topic of college basketball because our betting segment is college basketball futures this week. We're looking at the NCAA basketball championship winner, and this is the first week that I actually even took a glance at some of these futures odds and saw what was going on and I'm not sure if I really like any of them or not but we'll talk it out here and we'll see what you like skinny do you want to start do you have any teams yeah. here we're both on uh DraftKings right now looking at the odds do you have any teams that you like that stand out as good value well let's let's do it this way Rick and you can do whatever you want with your hundred dollars you can put it on one team you can split it into two you can split it into multiple all right so how about we do that I like it all right I'm gonna start with my hundred dollars I'm putting 25 on it on Arizona at eight to one. Their metrics in Ken Palm are top seven in both offense and defense. I think them and Gonzaga are the only two teams that are top 10 in both, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I haven't seen them much, but I just know every time I look up, they're beating good teams or beating teams handily. I like the value there. I don't like, believe it or not, Kentucky's value at eight to one. That sounds weird as much as we talk good about Kentucky. I, I agree. Just don't like, if you got me Kentucky at 14 to one where Duke is and Kansas is, I think I love them, but at eight to one, I don't love the. Believe it or not, I, I'm I'm doing a hundred dollars here. So if I was really smart, I'd probably put the hundred on Gonzaga at four to one. I think there's real value actually in them at four to one. But I'm going to spread my money around a little bit. So I got twenty five of it on Arizona at eight to one, twenty five to win two hundred there. I'm going to put twenty on Illinois at thirty to one, just because they've got they've got a guard and they've got arguably the the best or second best big in the country, in my opinion. So that's twenty to win six hundred. I'm going to put. 20 to win 900 on Tennessee. 
Um, don't ask me why. I think metrically, if defensively, what are they defensively? And can you have Ken Palm up? I do. They are fourth in defense, yeah, I knew third, they were, third in offense. Yeah. So they're at least an elite on one end of the floor, which I think you need. I mean, you certainly would like to be elite on both ends of the floor. So I'm up to what? I'm up to $45 bet. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to put 20 on UCLA at 25 to one. They've got all the gangs back from last year. They've, they've gone through some injury issues. They're starting to get guys back healthy. That's 20 to win 500 on UCLA at 25 to one. Then I'm going to go down and take, uh, take a couple of flyers for, let's see. So I'm at 65 now. So I've got another $20 bet on UConn at seven to one. Metrically, they're almost in the top 20 on both ends of the floor. I think they're 21 and 23, maybe. Does that sound right? UConn is uh, 24 and 26. All right, so they're close. They're getting there, and they're playing better. I get my twenty would get me back fourteen hundred bucks on them. So now I got fifteen dollars left to play with. There's se- put, seventy to one odds there. UConn. Yeah, seventy to one odds. Yep. Yeah, I'm gonna put I'm gonna put ten on Wisconsin to win seven hundred, just because they got Johnny Davis. And when you got an elite player like that, he can carry you a long, long way in the tournament, in my opinion. And then I've got five bucks left, and my last five dollars. God, I'm gonna swallow hard and do this. My last $5 is going to go on Michigan, believe it or not. They seem like they've just got enough parts where they could, They got a big, they got some guards. Uh, metrically, I think they're pretty good as well. That's 5 to win 500 on them. Um, I also kind of liked a little bit of LSU, but I'm, I, I just they're, they're not good enough offensively. And it's interesting, Rick, as much as you and I just talked about Providence before, right? I'm not betting them, mind you, but they're 80 to one, which tells you that that obviously there's not a lot thought of them to win this whole thing, despite them continuing to win games. Yeah, I mean they are getting zero respect from Vegas, and they've they've really been getting zero respect. Period. I mean, even against Xavier at home, they were a one and a half or two point favorite, depending on when you got it and what book you were betting it at. Uh, everyone was betting Providence. Even all the Xavier fans last night were betting on Providence, and especially Providence first half, which didn't cash the. Overall, line did end up cashing for the full game right. after triple overtime eventually. But, I mean, it just goes to show you what, what Vegas thinks of them. But Before oh, you go, one interesting long shot. It's a real long shot at 140 to 1. But they've got talent. They're starting to play better. I don't think, again, I'm just looking at value. I've already, I've already spent my money, and I've got a chance to, to, at minimum, win 200 bucks on the bets I've just spread out for 100 bucks and a chance for a couple of really nice paydays. Memphis is 140 to 1. That is crazy. I knew, I knew where you're going with that. It is crazy to see 141, knowing the the talent they had stockpiled before this year. But I mean, <laughs> but 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 have, have you seen anything that real? I, like the they're 70th in offensive efficiency. 70th. If you I can know give that. me 50, I'm noting you. you can give me top yeah. 50. I could like maybe make the case, but 70th, we're gonna make a case to make that run. Nah, I just don't see it. I I can't can't even get a little bit excited about that one. If I'm being honest, they they just don't have yeah, enough shooting. That's probably fair. Uh, yeah, but and all it's right. funny, Rick. I mean, when you go down after the top, after you get to the 70 to ones, there really isn't. I mean. Iowa, Michigan State, Providence, LSU, SC, Marquette, Indiana, Michigan are all in that 70 to 101 range. And I really, I, I made a case for Michigan just for value for five bucks for to win 500, but I can't make a case for much of those. Well, and if we're talking about the NCAA tournament, yes, we sometimes have those long shots that get into the final four and you want to say, okay, that team, that team had a chance. They were right there. 
But in reality, we don't usually have long shots or surprise teams win the whole thing. UConn is probably the best right. example of that. Right. And they just got supernova hot and had one of the best guards in, in the country and maybe in college basketball for like the past couple of decades. But they, yeah, I mean, it, it just, it, it's, it's tough to really get too crazy with the long shots here when you're betting futures for the NCAA tournament. But this worked out well because you took, uh, you didn't take any of the teams that I had on my list that, that I like. So I'll start with the the lowest odds here, but this isn't the the teams I like the most. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, The first one I would go with, and I'm going to put 20 bucks on Auburn. They're 10 to one odds. Now I liked what you said about Arizona. I've felt the same way about them, but here's my problem with Arizona. It's the same thing you said. I have not watched them enough. I don't feel confident just because I haven't, seen enough of them myself. I need to watch them on synergy. I've just been too busy to do it and I need to get caught up before the tournament on them. So Arizona might actually be the better play there, but I personally, I just don't have that confidence yet. Auburn. I have seen a lot of Auburn is fun. I love Bruce Pearl. I I just, something about this Auburn team, they are ranked eighth in Ken Palm right now. Overall, they're 16 and 16th in offensive efficiency eighth in defensive efficiency. They're getting it done on both sides. They've only lost three games. I like Auburn at 10 to one odds. I think that's pretty good. There's two more teams that I like here at at pretty short odds that I I don't love either team or the way they're playing right now, but just in terms of talent and the fact that I can get a blue blood at 14 to one odds, I'm going Duke and Kansas. I'm gonna put. I, I'll, I'll take it. it back. I'm gonna put 25 on Auburn. I'm gonna yeah, go 25 Duke, on Duke I... and 25 on Kansas. Okay, I, 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 Kansas one's a good one. I, that's probably one I, I probably discounted, but I went with Arizona for, for at the lowest odds, and I was looking for anything above the the, 12, the you know, 25 to one or higher. But I, I I don't like Duke as much as I like your Kansas play. I think Kansas is actually playing really well at the moment, um, and at 14 to one, I, I I I like the play. But you're right. I mean, you got you got. You've got for your money so far. You you're gonna double up and maybe even triple up in a couple of cases at minimum at the moment. You still got a little bit to play. Still got what twenty? Another twenty five. Thirty to play with? Yeah, I got twenty five. Okay. I, I I screwed up the first one. I'm gonna go twenty five across the board. I've just got okay. four plays right. that I like here. Um, okay. But I will say Duke is ninth in offensive efficiency, twenty first in defensive efficiency. So the metrics are better than you would think, honestly. And I it, it almost feels like they've been struggling in some ways just because maybe some of the scores. Uh, like that Wake Forest game and like the Virginia game. But I mean, you look up, they're they're 24 and four. The metrics are all in place. They've got some NBA dudes, Paulo Banchero. This is, I don't know, this is a scary team to get them at 14 to one odds. And just the fact that you're getting Duke and you're getting Coach K and you know the NCAA will cheat as much as they can to make this Coach K last year thing uh, an even better story. I, I'm going to take my chances with them at 14 to one. But he- You know what, you know, you know why I think Duke's fly, flown under the radar a little bit too is this just isn't a great year in the ACC and they feel like an afterthought. Yes, totally agree. Totally agree with that. And then finally, the team that I like the most here in terms of their odds, 35 to one, Skinny. Houston. Houston. Yeah. I, I mean, they're a monster. They were right there last year, a Final Four team. They've, they've got a lot of guys back. They're 13th Metrics in offensive efficiency, 16th in defensive efficiency. Yep. They do a little bit of everything, you know, offensively. They're not a, a they're not like a powerhouse offensively, but they can shoot enough. They can beat you up enough and score inside enough. They've got some athleticism and drivers. I, and defensively, we know what they're capable of. 
I think this Houston team is really scary and has a real chance. You look at them at 35 to one odds. I, I like it. I'm going to, I'm going to put $25 on Houston too. Those are pretty good plays. I mean, you're going to, you're going to at very, the minimum you're winning 250 bucks on Auburn. And if you can get the Houston at home, you're winning 700 plus bucks. You've gone seven, you've basically taken your hundred and gotten seven to one odds out of it for, for all four teams. Not bad. Well, and uh, you know, both of us probably just screwed up here by not putting at least 50 on Gonzaga at four to one. Cause you're no, right. I, I, that, no. To get them at four to one odds feels like they're the heavy favorite right now. Yeah. That, that honestly, in my opinion, they should probably be two to one odds. What, what are they metrically like two and three? <laughs> they, they are two and six right now. Okay. Two and six. My bad. They've slipped. Yeah. They've <laughs> dropped. All right. Let's keep it moving here. Little college football talk before we get to ask any anything. Skinny, the University of Cincinnati Board of Trustees approved a contract extension through 2028 for head football coach Luke Fickle on Tuesday. In addition to adding two years to his current contract, Fickle's annual salary will increase $1.6 million to $5 million total. And his football staff salary pool will increase from $3.85 million to $5.2 million per year. What do you think this means for Cincinnati's football program going forward, Skinny? I think it's a nice little homage to we're going to pay you. We're going to tear that contract up in 2025 when we go to the Big 12. And if you continue the route you're on, we're going to pay you even more then. This is just a little, hey, dude, we know we need to pay. Yeah, we need to pay a little bit more now. And you have to understand that when we get the real infusion of cash, we'll pay you more then. Um, and, And listen, I think we've talked about this before. I don't think he has his eye on a lot of other places. I think this helps in that regard, too. Um, this doesn't preclude him from going to the NFL. It doesn't preclude him from going to Ohio State if we're to open. But listen, you're, you're then in, in a lot of lateral move category. And I say that because I don't think, you know, if if, if a blue blood, a, a, a Bama, a, an LSU, what, what, name one of the ones, he just doesn't feel, feel like that's a fit for him in any way, shape, or form. So I'm talking about that that potential lateral move job that's that would be out there. I think this eliminates that. And again, I think this is UC just basically patting him on the back going, great job. Um, understand there's more money coming. This is the best we can do now. And I, I'm going to guess he understands this is about the best they can do now. And yes, you've taken pretty good care of me and my staff, which I think is important to him as well in a city where $5 million goes a hell of a long way, Rick, as we know, um, knowing full well, if things continue on the path, when they get to the big 12, there's a chance for a bigger payday coming sooner rather than later. And, and a big part of that, too, were the commitments to the facilities. And, right. hey, we are building you a permanent indoor practice facility and all that type of stuff. So a lot of it had to do with, like you said, just making him some guarantees and making sure he understands, we got you, we're going to do everything we can. And, and I'm sure he already knew that. I'm sure UC has been doing everything they can to make him feel loved, appreciated, wanted, all of those things, and do anything they can to make him stick around longer. Just I, I did a little quick research to see where – $5 million puts you in the college football landscape as a head coach. It's not big time money. I mean, it is big time money, but it's not, you know, uh, top coach in, in the the country money. He's not going to be top 20 or anything like that. It, right now, it would be the fourth highest paid gig in the Big 12, though. So, that, so that's okay. not bad. I mean, if you're talking about... That's UC, not bad. Would, yeah, I mean, based on where UC's at right now and their history of paying coaches, I mean, to be able to say you'd have the fourth highest paid coach in the Big 12, that's pretty good. That's, That's pretty, that good. Is pretty good. That is pretty good. So, you know, and like you said, you, you get to the big 12 in a couple of years, you bump it up again. Now, now you're, you're right on track and right where you want to be. And, and again, I don't know if ultimately you see keeps Luke fickle forever or long, long term, but I mean, it's just incredible 
to see how far this thing has gone. I mean, every but but, 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 year I, it seems but I like think people they, were convinced he was leaving, and yeah, he's but not. I, but I think it I think it does come close to convince you they keep him long term, minus the the dream job of 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 whatever's out there for him, dream job, because you're not going to ever match that kind of money. So don't even. I think, like I said, this right. takes away right. any potential lateral moveish money. I mean, this is what but, this does. You're right, but I think we were already to that point with him, yeah, and not because of the yeah. money so much, but just because of who he is and yeah, how no. this thing is trending and and all that, but. It is interesting that, you know, everyone was just so convinced that he would leave and here we are still in the spot and there doesn't seem to be any inkling of when Luke Fickle would actually be leaving Cincinnati. And these things can always catch you by surprise. I mean, look at the way that the coaching carousel went this year with, right. uh, you know, Brian Kelly and uh, Lincoln Riley and all that. So, I mean, it, it, anything could happen and it could happen totally out of the blue and catch us all off guard, but it is just incredible to see where you see his football program is at, where they're headed in the Big 12, and the fact that they're able to afford $5 million a year for a head football coach and no one even bats an eye. Everyone thinks, yeah, that's a sound investment. That's the right call. Yeah, agreed. All right, and finally, the college football playoff is set to remain a four-team format through the 2025 season after the administrators who managed the postseason failed to agree on a plan to expand the, expand before the current contract runs out. The board of managers directed the commissioners to continue discussions on a new format to go into effect for the 2026 season. That of course is after the ESPN contracts and other TV contracts will have run out skinny automatic bids. Uh, one of the big deals with these negotiations are automatic bids for the champions of the power five leagues versus the six best champs, regardless of conference getting in. And then the rest of them all being at large, of course, a couple things going on here. One, what's your initial take on the college football playoff remaining the four-team format for a few more years? And two, what's your take on, do you like automatic bids for the champions of the Power Five Leagues, or do you like the sixth best champs regardless of conference? Yeah, I'll start with your first question first. I, I think what this shows, unfortunately, is when you don't have a head honcho in, in charge of things, you have everybody with their own personal agenda from each of the conferences. Um, you know, one conference didn't like the automatic bid process. One conference, you know, the Pac-12 wants to somehow keep the sanctity of the Rose Bowl for, for their champion if they don't make the playoff thing. And, and it's just everybody had their own agenda yep. where this was concerned. And so, hence, what should have been an easy solution to expand this became a, a, a complete cluster to the point where they've kicked the can down the road. I, I do, I, I'm just, I'm a simple guy, Rick. I, I don't I don't know why this is so hard. We do it in college basketball. You're five conference champions from the Power Five. Let's get the the first the, the 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 group of five the best group of five. There's your six automatic bids. The next six are at large teams. That way everybody gets a little bite at the apple. You get the next six best teams after that. It's twelve teams. Top four get a buy. The other eight teams play the play in games, and and here we go. I just it, I don't know why that sounds hard. And yes, somebody can go. Well, what about an eight and five Utah getting? Okay, if they won the Pac-12, just like college basketball. What if? A set a nineteen and fifteen Cincinnati wins the American Athletic Conference. Oh well, right. They got hot at the right time. It means they're probably playing pretty well, and they're going to be a fascinating and, team. And, and, and Rick, here's the other thing: the doors blown off. That's still interesting. Rick, here's the other thing: in most of these leagues, and most of them are doing away with divisional formats to avoid one division being, um, you know, weaker than the other or stronger than the other. Usually, now they're just taking the two best teams. Guess what? In most of these leagues, if you're taking the two best teams. They're not going to have lost very many games. 
right? You're going to probably have an undefeated versus a one loss or a one loss versus a two loss. That conference champion is going to be pretty damn good. But if you do have divisions, like I said, it's an eight and five team beating an 11 and one. Oh, well, the 11 and one still has a chance to get in from an at large. And if they don't, well, you had your opportunity, bud. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what conference that could even happen in now. It feels like everybody has gone to top two for the most part, right? Yeah, the SEC still is divisional. Yeah, SEC, but I Big mean... Ten, the SC- Big, Big, Big Ten still divisional. Okay, so it could happen in theory, but it's just going to be really hard to win your division even with that bad of a record. So yeah, I mean, I, I, so I'm, I'm giving you nuclear option of eight an eight and five team, right? That, that went oh and or you know one and three non league, and then went seven and one in their league or whatever. However you want to do it, they went four zero and then whatever. Right. That, that's the nuclear option. And if that's the case, okay, I I, I, I can live with it. Just, yeah, I live with it. Right. Yeah, like you said, I, I I'd be interested to see that too. It's it's kind of like the NCAA tournament thing. It's like yeah, sometimes that team sneaks in. And you're like they shouldn't be here, and then lo and behold. They make the run. They're the team that makes the run as the 11 seed. And you're like, holy crap, everyone had them losing in the first round. And it it provides all types of intrigue and all types of storylines. So, yeah, it it will create some blowouts. Guess what? We already have them in our format right now. The semifinal games usually suck. So we can live with a few more of those. It's just it's such a bummer from a fan standpoint. I think that they're they're pushing this farther down the road. I do think it'll definitely get done because – they uh, estimate that they're leaving $450 million on the table by not bumping this up. Um, so, you know, just gives you an idea of how much is at stake. And ultimately, if there's that much money out there available, they're going to find a way to get it. But like you said, the big issue here is just that everyone is going to be fighting for their own cause and none of them are going to want to cooperate because they're all petty. So Correct. you're going to have to find another way to get this done. Well, Another a new TV contract and getting the ESPN getting involved will probably be what gets this done. When ESPN yep. says we want more games that matter, we want more playoff games, we're going to give you X number of dollars. Then it will get done. Yeah, TV will have to push it through, and that's that's really I think where we're at, unfortunately. But I was hoping it was going to be sooner than later. Me too. Uh, I still think it will get done at, at the end of the day. But I I don't have a real strong opinion on the automatic bids versus the six best champs. Um, just because I think I think it ultimately will end up pretty similar either way. I don't think there's going to be that big of a difference. Uh, but I think I'm fine with going with the six best champs regardless of conference. That doesn't really bother me at all. Yeah, I just think once you get past the the, the group of five, I mean, is is the, the is the is is the MAC champ involved in that? I mean, probably not. So yeah, right. I mean, no, I mean, this, best champs, you're this talking year about the would five. be the AAC, right? I mean, Correct. like that would have yes, been UC, it, so it wouldn't have yes, really exactly. made any difference right. at all. No, exactly. I just think. You make it simple and go, you five from the power five, you one group of five, and then six at largest. Yeah. I mean, this would this would have happened because clearly UC got into the four-team format this year because they were so good. The only thing right. I would be concerned about is maybe some of those like UCF or UC teams in the past that weren't quite as clear-cut dominant, didn't have the strength of schedule that this year's UC team did. If somehow they might could get left out for the second, second and third SEC teams as at large bids or the second or third big 10 teams as at large bids. I I could see a world where the power conferences, the way they dominate everything and control all this stuff. If they're just able to continue pushing that narrative to where it's always their teams getting in, even over a a deserving group of five. 
Well, the one thing I would say is when we get to 2025, the group of five is going to be lessened because of the teams leaving the AAC at the moment, too. This is true. This is true. But it will make it even harder for those teams that are on the outside looking yeah. in now. So, yeah. you know, if for whatever reason their uh, their conference was able to be good enough to to earn one of the six best, then I would be fine with them getting that chance to get the automatic bid. But uh, e- either way, it's I'm fine with it just being the power five leagues and then six at large as well. I'm, I can... I can go either way on that. Uh, finally, we'll wrap up with some Ask Any Anything, and we'll start with a question from our guy, Jed Demusey. I'm really interested to see what you have to say to this question because to me, there's only one right answer, and it's so obvious, right. I can't believe you would even ask. Which okay. member of the Cincinnati Bengals would be the best professional wrestler? Not just athleticism, but skills on the mic need to be thought about too. In fact, I think that's, in my opinion, really the only thing that matters, but... I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Joe Mixon. Oh, really? Okay, that's yeah. not what I was expecting at all. So maybe there were more interesting answers than I thought. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna go Joe Joe Mixon. The the, the other possibility because he likes to talk, but he doesn't talk with a lot of flair. Tyler Boyd likes to talk, but he's he's and he's a wiry little guy. I'm going Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon's a Joe Mixon's a bad man. I'm telling you what, he's cut now. Oh yeah. No, I like if look if this was uh, underground street fighting for money, I would have picked Joe Mixon or someone else. But to me, CJ Uzama is the guy here, right? I mean, he's the yeah, one with the charisma, and he and, and he yep. exactly. I mean, I would imagine he's a wrestling fan. He seems like a wrestling guy, and he's into soccer. He's into all types of goofy stuff. It seems like so. My guess is he's like a AEW wrestling fan already. The, 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 pro- the problem with him is, I, I don't know if there's a, he's, he's, he smiles too. There's not enough villain in him. Well, he's not, he doesn't have to be the heel. He can be, you know, they can find another okay. story for him. Uh, Mr. Happy and go okay, around. Mr. Happy. Yeah, banging people <laughs> with his banjo or something. I don't know. But, like, he just seems like a guy that would very much play into a character, play it up well. He has enough personality and charisma and all that. Uh, and he just – he's got the big, strong frame. He would he would be good and as, as a wrestler. I think, you know, you could see him mixing it up with The Rock back in the day. Yeah, I think Mixon Mixon would talk more smack though. Although CJ could probably do it too. He's your that's a, your your answer is probably better than my answer. Are there are there any other guys here? Because I I like couldn't think of any. I think no. Ted and a couple other. No, nobody else came. Had, like, up, nobody else came. Few. I was to say, give, give me the few that they had because I can't think of anybody else. I'm scrolling back trying to see who uh, who they. Uh, Jed said Logan Wilson and a lot of the secondary are sneaky good choices. Yeah, Logan Wilson's a. He's just—he doesn't have a ton of charisma. That's what I—I I, I wouldn't have thought. Maybe of him he wouldn't in the wrestling format. Yeah, Von Bell, I wouldn't think of. Um, Von's very quiet. You know, Mike Hilton, maybe Mike Hilton's got some personality to him. I could see Logan Wilson just being like Road Warrior Hawk, or something like that, wearing like the giant spiked shoulder pads. He's, he's, yeah, he's got the look right with the with the haircut and that. He's kind of got the put a put a bandana around his head. He's got the look, but yeah, he did he he, he didn't really come to mind. I mean, no, yeah. I, I think I think the only two answers are the two he gave, and I think your answer is better than my answer. Who in the secondary is he talking about? Who would be good? Jesse Bates, Mike. My, I'm guessing Mike Hilton. Mike Hilton's Mike Hilton. got a great personality. Okay. All right. Uh, moving on, we've got. Four slices of bread left, Skinny, including two butts. Would you rather have one normal sandwich or two half-butt sandwiches? That's a four slices left. Two of them are the butt ends, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think I'd go with 
I'd go with a full butt end sandwich and a full regular sandwich with the two slices of bread. I wouldn't go butt slice, butt slice. Right. Which if that's what you're going to do, that's the normal decision. If you're forced to eat the butts, but like any reasonable human being who's not an absolute peasant is just throwing the butts away. I don't even know why this is a question. Now, see, you know what I do with, you know what I do with the butt ends? Believe it or not. And I'm afraid to ask. I'm a big Catherine Clark wheat bread guy. So it's usually wheat bread butt ends, which are pretty good. No, I'll save them to like have with, uh, if I'm heating up a, a, a quick microwave dinner, like a Salisbury steak and, and macaroni and cheese. That's the perfect little bread to scoop with. Okay. You put a little butter, butter bread on there and uh, dip yeah, it in your, yeah. uh, yeah, whatever I nasty Salisbury I, I, steak juice. Correct. Correct. I look, I wouldn't make a sandwich out of butt ends, mind you, but that I usually, I save them for that literally that purpose. Fair enough. Yeah. I'm just, I'm not a butt guy, uh, sandwich, butt guy. And, uh, I, I would just go one regular sandwich and, and, go hungry i guess the next now, day i don't know now, with the white bread um we usually use the butt ends of the white because the wheat bread actually the butt ends of the wheat bread are pretty good butt ends of the white bread i'm with you we use those believe it or not we put them in the the, the dog's treats to keep them moist basically the bread kind of sucks you know keeps the keeps the treats moist and the bread gets really stale inside so we use those for that purpose well, i mean that's a life hack that i don't, don't think many of us knew about so uh you guys are welcome for that How that's a that? freebie from skinny um, all right, Freebie. Freebie. It's, it's national chili day as we're recording this Thursday, February 24th. Yes. Austin Elmore wanted to know who would win in a chili cook-off among local Cincinnati sports media and why. So this was chili cook-off. I'm not as interested in the answer to this, although I'll let you answer it. I want to know who wins the chili eating contest out of the local media members, but answer both. Well, when we're talking chili cook-off though, right, we're not talking Cincinnati chili. We're talking like real like texas style chili correct well that, to me that's what a chili cook-off would be yeah i don't think people yes. do like cincinnati chili cook-offs but in general right. i don't think it really matters because i'm trying to just figure out what sports media person do we know that could cook that you'd trust oh oh if i took my father's chili recipe nobody else eats it in the house but i make it about once a year when nobody's home it's damn good dude chief what's that tell you if no one eats it except for you well, because nobody likes the peppers and the onions and the beans that go in it. They, 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 I got three women in the house and they're picky with that crap. They just don't like it. All right. They, they, I mean, I'm just telling you, I'm the one that'll make it and I'll eat it. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll make the Zatarain reds, beans and rice and the Zatarain jambalaya. I guess who's the only one in the house that eats it is me. They just don't like that stuff. So, so are you saying you are the person that would win the chili cook-off? I think I would. Using my wow. father's recipe, I think I would. I will tell you, we also, though, we make our own Cincinnati chili at home we make it a little meatier there's a recipe that we have that's pretty damn good too it tastes a little bit different but it's got a lot of the similarities to it it's really good my yeah. daughter makes that pretty good. my my uh fiance's mom does that and they do it for halloween every year that's like the thing they take out and sit while they yep. are in the driveway with a fire and hand out candy i i had it this past year after it was hyped up a lot to me for multiple years uh, probably going to stay at my own house on Halloween from now on. I'll be honest. I just really, uh, yeah, I'm a sky. I'm a oh, sky dude, I love it. it. It's just a little meteor. Yeah. Oh, I'm with oh, you. No. Just, that's the thing. Cause, cause there's, there's two, there, there's two questions involved there. One is when we're talking chili cook off, we're talking, as I mentioned, kind of a meteor chili. When you're talking chili eating contest, I think we're talking Cincinnati style chili, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. And th- that's, uh, who, who could put down, let's do a Coney eating contest. Who's winning a coding eating contest out of the Cincinnati media sports, man. That's a good, that's a good one. I'm, 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 I'm in the conversation. 
Seg's the right answer, right? Can Seg eat a lot? You think? I don't know. Yeah, that's I, I mean, point. he's he's big, but I, like I get where you're going with that. But I don't, I don't feel like he's like the mo- most aggressive eater out of the bunch. I feel like you got to have I, a little more. I can tell you this: back in the day, back in the high school day when I was playing sports on a regular basis and in really good shape, I once down eight Dixie Dixie Chili Conies. I was in a, a coney eating contest where we ha- you had to whoever ate ten the quickest won, and I put down ten. It was it was not a problem. No, because because the thing is, usually when you get the cheese melted just right, it's like two and a half bites and it's gone, and you're on to the next, and it just flows so good usually. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you give me just you know three or four domestic beers, and I can eat eat skyline until <laughs> I can't feel my face. So. um I think well, I'll be honest. I'm going to guess if I'm included in the sport, Cincinnati sports media, I think I'm in the conversation. I'm not saying I'm necessarily winning it, but I think I'm in the final three. Well, I'm also going to guess with Austin asking this question that Austin probably wants himself in this conversation as an eater or a cooker. Well, Maybe yeah, he's a chef. I, I think he's a chef because he was the one who asked about the chili cook off, which I don't, I don't even know where, where he's coming. I'll, I'll just say this. I think uh, Jeremy Rao would be my guy for the chili cook off. I have, no reason to think that other than he just seems like a very domesticated guy who probably cooks at home. I'll tell you, you can eat now. And to his credit, man, he's, he keeps himself in great shape, but I've had, I've shared a meal with him in, in Bengals press boxes and he's, he, he can put it down now. He doesn't put it down like a slob, but he can go back for more. And you're looking going, where does he put it? Our guy, James Rapine. Oh, really? James, the big yep. eater, huh? Well, at least, at least during the lunches I've been with him at. And, and again, he's, He's in pretty damn good shape. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Like, a lot of times it is a guy who, like, works out and is into, like, the protein and all that that, like, can really put away some food. So I could see – yeah, okay, I could see James being a pretty good eater. Um, What can Tony Pike put away? He's he's a tall dude. He he is. I've never had a meal with Tony. I know Tony obviously, you know, he does Skyline Chili since he 360, so I'm going to guess occasionally they bring him some Tonys and and whatnot. Maybe there ought to be a contest between him and Austin on the air. Moe's got to be in that conversation too, as much as he posts about skyline. It seems like he eats it twice a week at least. So I, I don't know how much say, he can eat, but I think he's in the conversation. One of the dumbest things I ever did in radio, and we did this on a Sunday morning sports talk show, Tom Gamble and I, where I said I could probably eat 15 to 20 skyline chili hot dogs by themselves. Um, I got to about nine and honestly, no offense. Those, those hot dogs by themselves just aren't very good. No. No, you don't want to be doing that. And, I, I, and I, think, I guess I didn't. I guess I didn't realize that portion of it. I just maybe because the, the the chili just takes the hot dogs like third on the list behind the cheese and the chili. And actually, I'm a if I was really going to do it right, I don't always do onions with it, but I usually am onion mustard and and obviously cheese on top. Um, that kind of hides the flavor of the hot dog. The hot dog itself in those really isn't very good. No, uh, uh let. You know who I just realized? Our, our boy Chris Renkel at Channel 12 looks like he could probably eat a little bit. He's got kind of like That's the big point, barrel yeah. chest, like strong dude look to him. But yep. a little girl, oh, yeah. I, mean, I could see That's him put some food down. Yeah. I'm, so here's my challenge for Austin. Austin, you need to set up a contest then. Yeah. I, for both I'd, the chili cook-off and the chili eating contest. I'd, I'd definitely be glad to participate in the, the eating, not the – not the cooking, but I'll test the cookers. I'll grade the cookers and, and give them a score or something like that. Uh, yeah, get that going, Austin. This I've sounds done that good. Before. I, I did that before, Rick. I was a judge in a chili tasting thing, and trust me, you don't ever want to do that. <laughs> it's, you were hurting the next day, huh? 
Well, no, no, not just that, but there's just some chili recipes where you just the smell and you're looking at it and you're like, oh, do I even have to taste this? Really? Oh, really? Yeah. I some people that. like the like the I don't know, like the the the, the white chicken chili and like eh, I don't have no. a problem with that. Yeah, I just some white chicken. Yeah, no, I, I do too, but bean. it's but you have to you, you have to take my word for it. Sometimes you just look at that chili recipe as it sits there and you're like, what did you put in this? Fair enough. I, I can respect that. So I well, I do know one time Rao and Danaman, one of one of them like lost a bet and they had to eat a they I think they tried to eat 10 or something and got to like seven and puked or something. I don't I don't yeah. I don't want to besmirch their good names. I don't want maybe they ate all 10. I just remember whoever did it really, really regretted it after the fact. And there was a video on Twitter. So the, the, um, the one thing I regret from an from an eating contest I never did, and my roommate and I in college were gonna do this. He played football at UK. Um, and we roomed together. Um, and <laughs> this is back again when, you know, you could eat because you were always active and, and whatnot. He and I, there was a steakhouse in Lexington that did the old 60 ounce challenge. Oh, I, yeah. I know I, I know I could have done it. I could, I think I could do it today. I, I really do. I've never done a food challenge at a restaurant like that. I've always wanted either. to. And the only one now that I can think of that's around and I know I can't do it is the Bardzilla down at Bard's Burgers in Latonia. Oh, I don't. Even, I, I know Bards. In fact, I've. I've I, I didn't. I, I guess I've never seen that on the menu. What? What is it? It's fantastic. Bards I can't is awesome. It. Yeah, it's. I can't remember exactly. I don't know if it's like ten burger patties or twelve or something like that. But it's like they bring out all the burger patties stacked, and then you got to also eat like I don't know a pound of fries with it or two pounds of fries with it, something like that. It's. It's an insane meal. I've seen massive dudes take it on and lose. Uh, a couple have, have won it, but like I, I want nothing to do with that. I know I can't possibly complete that. Burgers and fries just aren't like my go-to if I'm going to binge eat. I can I can't do a lot of burgers and fries for whatever reason. So, but you know who we forgot about right now? As I'm thinking about this, a very obvious answer: our guy Paul Daner. Paul Daner's got to be able to eat. put some chili away. He can eat. He, yeah. He, 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 in fact, he and I still have to settle a wager where we, he owes me a precinct meal. By the way. No precinct. You ain't doing an all-you-can-eat situation there. No, you're not. But but trust me, I'm gonna get my money's worth. Good for you. You should. Yeah. All right, Skinny. That's all I got. Yep. Set that up, Austin Elmore. We'll see where that goes. That sounds actually actually like a plan to me. I'm in. Either that or Rick, we'll just appreciate it very much. Skyline. We'll be back next week. We're... Exactly right. Exactly. We'll do that. Um, we'll we'll talk a little bit of Bengals uh, as we're heading. I mean, next week you, we are literally it's Combine week, and we're two weeks from free agency starting um, next Thursday. So by the time we do this podcast next Thursday, literally free agency will start two weeks from that. So the, the off season gets upon us quickly. So we'll talk some Bengals topics. Obviously, we'll get into much more college basketball uh, on next week's show as well, and maybe we'll see where baseball is at that point too. For Rick Roaring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly potpourri edition presented by Ryan Keith. Right,